seated. As I said earlier, it has been a great weekend in our fall prayer conference, Ignite 2007, and we've been delighted to welcome as our guest national prayer leaders Dave and Kim Butts. They are the directors of Harvest Prayer Ministries, which is based in Terre Haute, Indiana. And the reach of that ministry not only reaches out across the 50 states of the United States, but around the world as they are encouraging Christians and churches into a deeper life of prayer and communion with God through prayer. Dave and Kim are noted authors, and we have some of their books available to you at a resource table in the lobby. If uh, you are interested in that, you can check it out on your way out of the worship center this morning. Dave was a pastor, associate pastor and senior pastor, and then in 1993, God laid a vision on Dave and Kim's heart to begin this national prayer ministry, and what a blessing it has been to the Church of Jesus Christ. And they have been a blessing to us this weekend. Will you please welcome our morning speaker who declares God's word to us this morning, Reverend David Butts. Good morning. It's good to be here and have the opportunity to share with you. I loved uh, the way you've prayed already. Um, I get to a lot of churches and... uh, Everybody's for prayer. I mean, you're kind of afraid to be against it, right? But you don't always see uh, the boldness I've already seen today in prayer of people coming forward and praying and seeking God and others praying for them. So thank you for what you're doing in prayer. I love bold praying. I love to see people who come with confidence into the presence of God. Unfortunately, I don't always do that. Sometimes my prayers are rather wimpy. Do you know what I mean, wimpy praying? There are words that come out, but not necessarily enough faith to cause them to rise to heaven. You kind of wonder whether or not they come out and dribble down your chin and onto the floor. Just not a lot of faith, not a lot of confidence. I love to see in Scripture those who had boldness in prayer. One of my favorites is an example of a great prophet of God, the prophet Elijah. Elijah is literally held up in the New Testament for us as an example of how we ought to pray. And the example that James gives us is this, of this particular situation in the life of Elijah when, according to the direction from God, he prayed and the rain stopped. For three and a half years, there was a serious drought in Israel because of their sin. And at the end of three and a half years, Elijah prayed again, and the rain began. The story, as you read it in the Old Testament, is fascinating. Because somehow or other, Elijah began to sense that the time for the drought was over, and he went up on top of a mountain, and he knelt down to begin to pray. Now, the the very wording in Scripture indicates there's an intensity in his prayer. According to Scripture, it says he knelt down and put his head between his knees. You know, that's a very intense posture for prayer and he prayed that God would send rain and then he looked up and he motioned to his young servant to come over and he said uh, go over to the edge of the cliff and look out and tell me what you see and his young servant did so and he came back and he said it's, it's totally clear so Elijah began to pray again and then he motioned his servant over and asked him to go look again he did this seven times on the seventh time the young servant came back 
And he said, Master, off in the distance I see a cloud the size of a man's fist. And Elijah jumps up and he says, run! It's going to rain! I love that kind of faith. That kind of confidence. You see a little cloud off in the distance. You don't think much about rain coming, but Elijah did. Do you know that's the kind of praying that we're literally commanded to pray with? That kind of boldness? That kind of confidence? Elijah is held up for us as an example. And it's so important for us to understand in Scripture what it says about Elijah. Because there's a tendency for all of us here to hear that story. And I know what's going on in your mind. I do. I hang around people like you all the time. Okay? Because you hear that story about Elijah and you go, yeah, but that's Elijah. And I'm no Elijah. Right? You know what Scripture says? In the book of James chapter 5, it says, Now Elijah, a man just like us, a man just like us, prayed, and it did not rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and it began to rain. A man just like us. We're commanded to pray with boldness. In the very front page of your bulletin, I'm so grateful. It's a passage of Scripture that, that, uh, that we will look at today. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, and uh, you can even just look right on the front of your bulletin, and it has it right there. It says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. When you read all of Hebrews chapter 4, it's talking about Jesus, our great high priest. And because of all that Jesus has done, and because of all who Jesus is, you and I now are commanded to come with boldness, New International Version says, with confidence, into the very throne room of heaven and to begin to pray. We're commanded to pray with boldness, to pray with confidence. How can we do that? How can we somehow move from Wimpy praying to bold praying. If you're like me, I need an example. I need to find Christians who've somehow moved in their prayer life and begin to pray with greater confidence and greater boldness. I believe there's a group of Christians who can help us with that. Their story is found in Acts chapter 4. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 4 because we're going to read about a prayer meeting. It's a prayer meeting that's held here in Jerusalem. The story is recounted in the book of Acts. I'm going to read this prayer meeting. Before I do, I need to kind of set the context. Peter and John had been arrested. And uh, upon hearing of that, the church began to gather in uh, one of the homes, and they were praying for them. And Peter and John, arrested by the, uh, the, leaders, uh, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, were literally beaten up and commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And uh, then they released them so that they go back and tell the rest of the church, no more preaching in the name of Jesus. Now, with all of that as the background, the church gathers and begins to pray. And we have recorded for us their prayer meeting. It's almost like someone is sitting in the corner... And the church begins to pray, and they're going, oh, this is good. Someone ought to write this down. And they start taking notes. And they write down verbatim how the church prayed. And, of course, later on, the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to grab that 
and to put it into Scripture so that you and I can see exactly how the early church prayed. Let's read the account of this prayer meeting. We're going to begin reading in verse 23, Acts chapter 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests had said to them. When they heard this, they, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What an amazing prayer meeting. As this group of believers comes together to pray, and prays this amazing prayer in which God immediately begin to answer. How in the world can we pray such a prayer? How can we have that sort of confidence, that sort of boldness in our prayer life? Well, once again, part of the struggle that we have with this is we have a tendency to put those people up on a pedestal and to say, well, now, you know, that was the early church. They were the apostles there. And me, I'm just trying to get through today. I'm not sure I can pray like that. I want you to consider who was there. Who was in that room. Folks, it was a group of brand new believers. Nobody there had been walking with Jesus for any longer than three, three and a half years. There were some of them probably still had their hair wet from their baptism. Brand new believers. Can can I ask a question? How many of you here have been walking with Jesus for longer than three and a half years? Oh, look at that. See, the vast majority of us have known Jesus far longer than those men and women. We ought to be praying with greater power, greater effectiveness, greater confidence and boldness. Why? Because we've been walking with Jesus longer. What we will discover from this group of new believers are some principles, some practical principles that will help us pray with greater boldness. I will, I will even stick, stick my neck out and say this. If you will pay attention to the Word of God, not so much to me as to what God's Word says here, I believe you'll walk out of here this morning praying with greater effectiveness. I have that much confidence in the Word of God that you will begin to pray with greater boldness because of some of the very simple principles you see here that the early church used as they prayed together. Let's look at that. The first thing that they did is they acknowledge God. They acknowledge God. They, they paid attention to who they were talking to. It's kind of an interesting way to begin your prayer. Sovereign Lord, You who created the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. What an interesting way to begin your prayers. 
But then we've got to remember that there were in this room those who'd been with Jesus some months earlier and had asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And then they listened carefully as Jesus taught them how to pray. When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, I shared this with the group Friday night, uh, I do not believe for a minute that Jesus said, uh, you want to know how to pray? Great. I have written out this 25-second prayer, and if you pray it for the next 2,000 years, it'll work. Folks, that isn't what Jesus did. He said, guys, you want to know how to pray? Then here are elements that need to be included in all of your prayers. In a sense, he said, here's an outline. Here are things that need to be included as you pray. And guys, I'm not sure if Jesus called the disciples guys, but he said, guys, when you, when you begin your prayers, I want you to pay attention to who you're talking to. So you need to pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Sovereign Lord, you who created the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. It's the same prayer, isn't it? It's the same way. Pay attention to who you're talking to. I'm convinced that so many times we come rushing into God's presence, taking no account of who's on the other end of the prayer, who's listening. What is really taking place in this interaction that we call prayer? <clears throat> the text that we looked at at the beginning, Hebrews chapter 4, tells us something absolutely amazing about prayer. It tells us that because of who Jesus is, that when you and I begin to pray in a way that is literally beyond explanation, beyond our understanding, but somehow, according to God's Word, when we begin to pray, we enter into the throne room of heaven. We come before, before the very throne of God. You know, I, I'm at a point in my life, I love to talk about heaven. Okay, just think about it. <laughs> the older you get, the more interested you get in heaven. Got a lot of friends and family there you're interested in seeing. I love all the descriptions in God's Word of heaven, but my favorite place in heaven is the throne room. Right at the very center of this great city called heaven is the throne room of God. And the Apostle John in the book of Revelation just gushes when he talks about the throne room and trying to describe it in human language. He talks about the great throne of the Father that is on a sea like glass. And then at the right side of the Father is another throne upon which is seated Jesus Christ, our Savior, Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then around the throne of the Father and the Son are these Four living creatures, angelic beings, I believe, whose sole task for all eternity is to cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then around those four are these 24, I believe again, angelic beings, we often call the elders, and they all have crowns of gold on their heads, and they're continually taking their crowns and casting them at the feet of Jesus and worshiping Him. Now, in addition to all that, the Bible says there are myriad thousands of angels who are gathered together in joyful assembly there in the throne room of heaven. I want to tell you, the throne room of heaven is one fantastic place. Well, that's what the Bible says. You want to hear what Dave says? Because in addition to all that, here's, here's what I believe. Over here, 
at the back of the throne room is this little door. And when we begin to pray, that door opens. And we begin to walk out right down the very center of the throne room that is the heart of the universe. And we walk right up to the throne of the Eternal Father and we begin to pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for all you've given us. Please guide and protect us. In Jesus' name, Amen. And we turn and we leave. And you can almost hear the angel saying, That's it? That's all he's going to ask for? He came right into the presence of the Father and he didn't even open his eyes and he muttered a few words and then left? Come on, folks. How many of us have done that? All of us, haven't we? All of us have rushed into the presence of God and totally forgotten who was listening, what was happening in the midst of prayer. I want to tell you, just just picturing, if we ended the sermon right now, just picturing the throne room of heaven could forever change your prayer life. The first principle that you see from the early church in Acts 4 is pay attention to who you're talking to. The second thing is that they prayed God's Word. They they prayed God's Word. It's a fascinating thing. They they began by acknowledging God and then they immediately began quoting Scripture. You may not be aware of that if you've not read this carefully, but they literally started their prayer after acknowledging God by turning to Psalm 2 and quoting the first verse of Psalm 2 back to God. It's an amazing thing. They discovered the key to effective prayer. They discovered that the key to effective prayer is that prayer is not about what I want, it's about what God wants. That ultimately, if we're to receive from the Father, we're going to have to discover what it is the Father wants. You know that prayer never has been, never will be my way of getting things from God. It's all about God's way of accomplishing His will on this planet. And our job is to discover what does God want to have happen in in that family, in, in that church, in that city. And then we become the conduit through which God works as we ask Him and His power is released on planet earth. It's an amazing, amazing partnership. A wonderful gift that God has given to us. I believe the key to answered prayer is found in Scripture in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. You don't need to turn to that. I'll just kind of let you know. In John, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, If we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. If we know that He hears us, we know that we have whatever it is we've asked of Him. Now, that's an amazing verse. Especially the way it starts out. If we ask anything. Do you know what anything, the word anything means in the Greek? It means anything. Same thing it does in English. No limits. No limits to our prayers. Nothing too big, nothing too small. God invites us to pray anything. No limit praying. But there is a conditional clause after it. You can ask anything according to my will. Oh, that's the hard part, isn't it? Oh, if you hadn't put that in there. According to His will. Well, how in the world are we going to know God's will? I mean, it's so difficult trying to figure out God's will. I would, 
I mean, wouldn't it be great if maybe God would write a book or something? I mean, wouldn't it be great, you know, if God would write a book and then we could just kind of read it and then we'd know what His will is. We'd know how to pray. Oh. He has, hasn't He? You see, the key to effective prayer is not me coming to God with my lists, with my desires, with all the things that I want. If you want to be an effective prayer, if you want to learn to pray with boldness, with confidence, you learn to pray His Word, His will. You know why you don't pray with boldness. It's because you don't know if God really wants to give you what you ask for. And so you come to God saying, I'm not quite sure, but this is what I'd like. And so maybe if you could get around to it, ah, this is what I'd like. But there's quite a difference in coming to God and saying, God, you have said, it is written. Lord, fulfill your word. Now, let's see how they did this. They turned to Psalm 2. Now, Psalm 2 is, is a short psalm. It's a messianic psalm. In other words, it's all about Messiah. It's all about Jesus. And, and Psalm 2, I believe, is literally the entire psalm is the basis for the rest of Acts chapter 4. Now, I know they only quoted the first verse, but they do exactly what you and I do all the time. If we're referring to a passage of Scripture, we say, well, you know where it's written, and we, we give a line of that, but we're referring to that whole passage of Scripture. That's exactly what they do here. And so they turn to Psalm 2, because in Psalm 2, you find exactly the same situation that they were facing right then in Jerusalem. Psalm 2 talks about how the Messiah is going to come, and the rulers are going to come against Messiah. They're going to take their stand against the one sent from heaven. But then as you read the rest of Psalm 2, it says, don't worry, because God is enthroned in heaven. And He laughs at those rulers. No matter what their attempts to do to stop Messiah, it isn't going to work because of the power of God. And then in the midst of Psalm 2, we find something amazing. It's a conversation that's found in Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8, about halfway through verse 7. And it's a conversation that's recorded in Scripture between God the Father and Jesus the Son. That's right. Right here in the middle of the Old Testament is a conversation between the Father and the Son. And it's so huge for the church to pray this and for us to grab a hold of it today. Here's what's happening. Jesus is speaking, and He's speaking of the Father. And He said, He, the, the Father, said to me, You are My Son. Today I've become your Father. Ask of Me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession." An amazing conversation where the Father says to the Son, Son, you have taken on human flesh. You have come to dwell among men, and as such, you need to understand something. Son, there is a basic principle in my kingdom, and that is, you do not receive unless you ask. If you're going to receive from me, you must ask, even you, son. Even you. So, son, I want to give you, as your inheritance, the nations of the earth. I want to give you the very ends of the earth. But even you, son, must ask me for them. You must pray and ask me, and I will give you the nations. 
It's an amazing principle there, an amazing conversation that takes place. And the early church saw that. And they saw this passage of Scripture, and they basically came to the Father and said, Father, you promised Jesus that you're going to give Him the ends of the earth. You're going to give Him all the nations. And Father, we understand that that's going to happen through the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. That the way that the nations are going to come to Jesus is that we must proclaim the truth. We've got to speak about Jesus so that people can come, so the nations can come. If Jesus is going to receive His inheritance, if Your Word is going to be fulfilled, Father, we've got to have somehow the ability to speak. We've got to have the ability to preach Your Word. Now, Father, You heard the authorities. They told us not to preach anymore. But we look in Your Word and You said You want to give Jesus the nations and it's going to have to happen through the preaching. So listen to them. And then, Father, fulfill Your Word in our life. Give us the ability to speak Your Word with boldness. Father, stretch out Your hand to confirm Your Word, however it is You want to do it. But Lord, in spite of the authorities, in spite of their power and our weakness, we believe Your Word. Fulfill Your Word in us this day. And my friends, that's how you and I can pray. We pray not what we want, but what He wants. You see, that's exactly how Jesus taught us to pray. Not my will, but Yours be done. Your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. We learn to pray the Word of God. And we pray with boldness and confidence. And that third principle, and if anybody's counting, it's the last one. You know, I know. There's the thing. How many of these does he have? How many of these things? How long is this thing going to go? There's just the third principle. They prayed big prayers. They, they prayed big prayers. Big, bold, confident prayers. No, no little prayers. Now, what would have been a little prayer in this situation? Well, I'm ashamed to say it, but I'm afraid that a little prayer would have been the prayer that I probably would have prayed. Think about it for a minute. You're, you're with a group of Christians. You're crowded into a home in the middle of a city in which your Lord had been killed a few weeks earlier. The same men who killed him had just taken two of your leaders, beat them up. They're sitting in the corner. There's probably a young servant girl over there with a wet cloth wiping off the blood and the dirt. We've just all been commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus or the same thing will happen to us. How would you pray? And I'm afraid my prayer would have been, Help! Protect us, Lord! Keep us safe! It's okay to pray those kind of prayers. You need to know that. There's, there's nothing wrong with praying a little prayer. It, it, this won't scare anyone if I come down here, will it? Okay, good. God allows us to pray any prayer. Big prayers, little prayers. But the little prayers typically have to do with our protection our health, 
our life, our happiness. And God wants you to pray about those things. But my friends, please, please hear me. That's all I ever hear. I get in hundreds of churches all over this nation. And all I ever hear are little prayers. All I ever hear are praying for, for our health. And You know, six years ago I had cancer. I had a lot of Christians pray for me. I'm grateful. I'm totally cancer-free. That's a wonderful thing, you know. And it's a wonderful thing. But you know what? Listen, that's a little prayer. Because, because if the Lord tarries, this body's gone. For goodness sakes, folks, even Lazarus died again. Okay? That's just what happens. So we pray the little prayers, yes. But somewhere along the line, we've got to lift our sights. We've got to start praying big prayers that impact eternity. Somewhere we've got to be praying for those who don't know Jesus Christ. We've got to begin praying for the nations to come to Jesus. It's time for the church today to begin praying for Jesus to receive His inheritance. It's time for the church to rise up as a powerful body of Christ to impact this world and to bring transformation. God is waiting on the church to pray big prayers, bold prayers that will move the hand of God and bring transformation to our world. Are you ready to pray that kind of prayer? A prayer that's not based so much on what you want, but on the revealed Word of God? You know, they prayed this prayer in Acts chapter 4, and I'm not sure they ever got to the Amen before God decided to end the prayer. He started to shake the room, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. And they immediately began to speak the Word of God with great boldness. Do you realize that by my calculations, within about five weeks of this prayer meeting, it was said of the church that they had filled Jerusalem, the streets of Jerusalem, with the teachings of Jesus. Five weeks. Within their lifetime, one generation, it was said that they had turned the world upside down. You and I have the same message. We have the same Holy Spirit in us. And it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to begin praying the big, bold prayers that attract the attention of God. And we'll see His power released on planet Earth. God is calling us to pray big prayers. I believe today there are some principles contained in God's Word that can change forever your prayer life. Pay attention to who you're talking to. Take His Word and pray it back to Him. Pray big prayers. If there is not another passage of Scripture that comes to your mind, let me suggest this week that you go back to Psalm 2 to pray the same kind of prayer that you see our early leaders praying in Acts 4. You see, Jesus has not yet fully received His inheritance. The ends of the earth the nations are not yet bowing at the feet of Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if in our day, because of the prayers that the Holy Spirit births within us, as we begin to pray with power, with boldness, with faith, we would ask, Lord Jesus, 
We want you to receive your inheritance, the ends of the earth, all the nations. Do it in our day. Will you pray that? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the amazing gift of prayer. Lord, we bow before you, you who are indeed creator of the heaven and the earth and the sea, you who rule from your throne. Father, we are, we are so amazed that because of Jesus, right now, we are in your presence, before your throne. Would you allow faith to rise up within us? To pray that which attracts your attention, which receives your blessing, which Oh God, in our day, May we see our Lord and Savior receive His inheritance, the very ends of the earth, all nations, bowing before Him. Lord, teach us to pray with power and might that You may receive increased honor and glory that Your kingdom might advance. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.